Amen. Good morning. We're glad that you're here today. Thank you for joining us for church today. So glad to have a, a new little one with us today, Chloe Tanner. Congratulations to Josh and Anna, and uh, we're so excited for them. And uh, she was born early, early Thursday morning, right? Wednesday morning, I'm sorry, I got my days off at 6.53, I think, in the morning. Eight pounds, 14 ounces. I think I got the details correct, so you can see her this morning. Glad she could join us today. She's moving right up in the world today, though. She's going to junior church on her first Sunday, so we don't wait long. We just move them right up. Anyway, her parents teach junior church, so that's why. But we're glad to have her here today and, of course, her whole family with her all four of her big brothers as well, and they're going to sing for us in a little bit, so we're looking forward to that. And uh, thank you for joining us today. We had a beautiful wedding here yesterday for Evelyn Anderson. Well, it's not Anderson anymore. It's now Evelyn Coates. Evelyn and Michael got married yesterday afternoon, and uh, uh, it was a beautiful day, and we enjoyed some time with them. And uh, looking forward to worshiping our Lord together this morning. I'm thankful for all that God did in our hearts over the past week. We had a lot of extra preaching and teaching from God's Word during our special meetings Sunday through Wednesday. And tonight we're going to be taking some time to look through some of those things and take some time for personal application. Hope you can join us tonight at 5 uh, and be able to continue on what the Lord did and worked in our hearts about. Looking forward to at the end of the service this morning, enjoying the Lord's Supper together and reflecting on what Christ did for us on the cross. So it's a great day to be together in the Lord's house. Let's go to Him in prayer now, and we ask Him to bless our service. Father, thank You that we can worship You. Thank You that You are our King. Thank You for sending Jesus Christ to be our Savior. Thank You for the Holy Spirit that is our Comforter. Thank You for being our Father. Thank you for Jesus, who's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Lord, thank you for your presence in our midst this morning. I pray that you would work in our hearts as we're gathered here together to worship you, to hear from you this morning. Encourage us today. We need to hear from you, Lord. Thank you for each one that is here. Pray for those who are unable to be here this morning, those who are sick. I think especially of Katie, strengthen her body. Help her as she continues to go through these treatments, Lord, for this cancer. Lord, I pray for Brother Larry as he gets his house put back together after the flooding that he took in just a little over a week ago. Lord, I pray for others who are hurting this morning, others who are not well. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us and providing for our needs. Help us to look to you today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to go back into our series that we've been going through in the book of Nehemiah. We're in Nehemiah chapter 9 this morning, and uh, I, I think, as best as I can tell how I've tried to divide this out, we're going to be in this chapter for three different services, three sermons. This morning we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. And uh, if you've had some time to read through Nehemiah 9, um, you've noticed a lot of wonderful praise of God. And a lot of conversation about who God is and what God has done. And we're going to really focus in, in the first six verses this morning, on the greatness of God. We serve a, a God who is wonderfully great and glorious, and uh, so we're going to focus on that this morning. Freddie, you come and read to us. Now in the twentieth and fourth day 
of this month, the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloths and earth upon them. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord, their God, one-fourth part of the day. And another fourth part, they confessed and worshipped the Lord, their God. Then stood upon the stairs of the Levites, Joshua and Vani, Cadmiel, Shabaniah, Bani, Sherebiah, Bani, and Chanani, and cried with a loud voice unto the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, and Cadmiel, Bani, Hashabniah, Sherebiah, Hodijah, Shabaniah, and Pithathiah, said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. And blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all, blessing and praise. Thou, even thou, art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein. And thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worship thee. Nehemiah chapter 9, let me just go back and give a little uh, overview of the book as we get into this chapter because we didn't have this sermon last week, we had somebody else preaching, and I want to make sure that we're coming at this with the right perspective. As you begin the book of Nehemiah in chapter 1, Nehemiah hears about this problem back in his homeland. The walls are broken down. This is back in a day when they built walls around the city for protection. The walls were broken down. The gates of the city were burned with fire. There was no protection for their city. Nehemiah himself was living in a foreign land as the cupbearer for the king. It was his job to bring the king his food and his drink. And it was a position of great trust because he would taste the king's food, make sure it wasn't poison kind of like a, a butler or something like that would have done. And he had this very important job working for this foreign king. See, Nehemiah was living in a foreign land because many of the Israelites had been taken in captivity by that nation and had then lived there for many years in captivity. But when Nehemiah hears this news from his homeland, it makes him very sad. He's very upset. His hometown is broken down. There's no protection for his city. And so he goes to God in prayer. And he asks God to provide, for God to make a way, for God to protect his city. And then he prays this prayer for a number of months, probably at least four months. Every day he goes to work, he continues his responsibilities. He doesn't have any way to really help the people physically, but he can still take their needs to God in prayer. Four months later, the king sees him when he comes into his court that, or his room that day to serve him his food. And the king says, why are you so sad? You haven't been sad before now. And he says, why do you look sad? Now, that was a big deal. You didn't go before the king with a sad face. You always had to have a happy face when you came before the king because the king always wanted to see happy faces around him. Well, but the king asked him what was wrong, so Nehemiah prayed a quick prayer uh, asking God for help, and then he told the king what the problem was. He said, King, my city is broken down, the gates are burned with fire, the place of my father's sepulchers, my father's gravestones, are, there's great dishonor brought upon them. 
And he asks the king, and the king says, well, what do you want to do? What do you want to do about it? And Nehemiah says, well, I, I need this many people. I need this many resources. It's going to take me this long. He said, I want to go back and rebuild the walls so that the city will have protection. And the king agrees to it. This king even provides financially for him to have what he need to, needs to go back and to rebuild the city. So Nehemiah goes back to Jerusalem. When he arrives there, he takes a few days to survey the damage of the walls, to see what the problems are, what needs to be done. And then he goes before the people with a plan. He tells the people that they are going to rebuild the walls and that God is going to help them. He tells them how God has already helped them to get to this point, how God has already provided to allow Nehemiah to leave his job, to provide the finances and the materials that they would need to rebuild the walls. And so the people come together, they're unified to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. And over the next last number of weeks, we saw how they faced great opposition to rebuild the walls. And yet, the people worked together. And in just 52 days, they rebuilt a wall around the city of Jerusalem. Now, archaeologists today have gone back and have done some digging, and they think that the wall that Nehemiah built and his people was about eight feet thick. This was not a small wall, and it was quite tall, high enough that you couldn't see over it. We don't know for sure how tall it was, but this was a big wall. The people worked together. It was a, this is a great story of unity and what can be done when people participate in something together. But it wasn't without problems because there were enemies that didn't want the wall rebuilt. They didn't like the fact that this city was going to now have protection when it didn't previously have any. And so they made accusations against Nehemiah. They made threats against Nehemiah and his people. They brought armies around the city to scare the people into thinking that they would not be able to continue. But God provided, the people worked together, and the wall was rebuilt. You know, the problems didn't just come from outside. As we saw in earlier chapters, there were problems inside as well. There was disagreements between the people. There were uh, people taking advantage of other people. And it was a very difficult thing, but the work was completed. The walls were done. And yet, even though this was a great victory that they completed these walls, this didn't end the problems of the people. And we saw how that even in our own lives, when things may look good on the outside and we kind of have life together, it doesn't solve the problem that's on our inside. Because the problem with the children of Israel is the same problem that we face today. It's a problem called sin. That's me doing wrong, making wrong choices, having wrong attitudes, wrong thoughts. And so Nehemiah then, he brings the people together. And we saw the last time we looked in Nehemiah that they called out. They said, bring the book. They wanted the book of the law of Moses, God's word to be read among all the people. And they read from the book of the law. The Bible says they read distinctly. They gave the sense. They helped people to understand what they were reading. And when the people heard from God's word, the people realized that they had failed to do things for nearly a thousand years that God had commanded them to do. One of the feasts that they were to be observing as children of Israel was the Feast of Tabernacles. This was a special celebration 
that they would do or were supposed to do to remember their time living in the wilderness. See, when they traveled through the wilderness after they left Egypt, where they were enslaved for some uh, several hundred years, when they traveled through the wilderness, they lived in tents or tabernacles. And so every year they were supposed to go back out and build these tabernacles and spend several days in them as a remembrance of where they had come from. And to use this time to praise God for freeing them. But they had neglected to do this for a thousand years. You know, it's easy, isn't it, to get so busy and caught up and comfortable with where our life is that we fail to read God's Word and we fail to remember what God has commanded us to do. And as the children of Israel return back to the Word of God to listen to it once again, they responded in obedience to the Word of God. And then that brings us to chapter 9. Because as God is working there in this nation, through His Word, as the people responding in obedience, this wasn't just a, a, a thing that lasted for that one week-long celebration. In fact, as you begin in verse 1 of chapter 9, it says, Now in the 24th day of this month. So they had been doing this for about eight days, the first eight days of the month. But this has continued on all the way to the 24th day of the month. They had had great feasting, great celebration. They had given gifts one to another. It had been a wonderful time of rejoicing. But now notice how it's changed from rejoicing and celebration to now it says the children of Israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloth and earth upon them. I thought about this this morning. I'm glad that's not what I wore to church this morning. People say, well, a suit looks uncomfortable enough. Well, it wouldn't have been as uncomfortable as wearing sacks. I thought about going out and getting some potato sacks and making a shirt out, but I thought that might be too much of a spectacle and you wouldn't be able to pay attention this morning. But this is how they dressed. Why did they dress this way? Why had there been such a change from great feasting and celebration and now they're no longer eating, they're fasting. They're no longer dressed up to celebrate, now they're wearing sack clothes. They're no longer clean, now they've put earth or dirt on their heads. Why are they doing this? Well, they're doing this in response to the truth of God's Word. You say, is this what we're supposed to do today? Notice, you'll see what we're supposed to do. It's very clear here. Verse 2, and the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers. That means they stood apart from those that didn't want to follow God. They, they set themselves apart from them and they stood and confessed their sins, and the iniquities of their fathers. See, the children of Israel, they were giving an outward response to what was inwardly going on inside. As they heard God's word, as they heard the truth, they realized that they needed to confess their sin. To confess your sin means to say the same thing about it that God says about it. God calls it sin, He calls it wickedness, He calls it iniquity, He calls it filthiness. And the children of Israel were now representing their wicked hearts in the way that they dressed, in the way that they acted, 
and even by what they said, to stand and confess their sins. And it says in verse 3, And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one-fourth part of the day. So for them, a day would have been 12 hours because you had the night, which was also 12 hours. So three hours they read from God's Word. That's a long time. Somebody's getting nervous this morning thinking, all right, three hours. Well, no, that wasn't the whole thing. Three hours of reading from God's Word. And then it says in another fourth part, they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. It wasn't just three hours, six hours. They spent half their day hearing from God's Word as it was read and also confessing their sin before God and worshiping Him. There's a great change that's come over this people. They've now come together. They've rebuilt the wall. Now they're hearing from God's Word. Now they're responding with confession and worship to God. It says in verse 4, Then stood up upon the stairs of the Levites, Jeshua, and Bani, and Kadmiel, Shebaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Chenina, and cried with a loud voice unto the Lord their God. Then the Levites, Jeshua, and Kadmiel, Bani, Hashbinah, Sherebiah, Hadijah, Shebaniah, and Pethiah said, notice what they said, Stand up. And bless the Lord your God forever and ever. And blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. Thou, even thou, art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all things that are in, the seas and all that is therein. And thou preservest them all. And the host of heaven worshipeth thee. I believe there's a lot we can learn from these six verses this morning about the children of Israel and their response to the greatness of God. One author named George Santayana, he was a philosopher, he said, those who do not remember the past are condemned to relive it. Aldous Huxley said that men do not learn very much from the lessons of history is the most important of all the lessons that history has to teach. If you're a student of history, you know that things tend to repeat themselves, don't they? The places where wars have been fought before, often wars are fought again. The problems that arise in one place often tend to mirror the same kinds of problems in another place. Human nature hasn't changed. People are people. And the things we see in this passage of Scripture this morning about this people and about their response to God, I think can serve as a great instruction and lesson for us this morning to think about how our response should be to our God. Because while people are people, I want to tell you even better than that, God is God, and He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, who is, who was, and is to come. He is the Almighty. And as we learn more about our God this morning, I think our response 
should mirror in many ways the response of the children of Israel as they confessed their sins and as they worshipped their God. This chapter, as you are reading through it, and I encourage you to take some time over the next few weeks to read it on your own and study it, you really see in verses 1 through 6 the greatness of God, and we're going to talk about that. Verses 7 through 30, we see the goodness of God. And then verses 31 through 38, we can better see the grace of God. Now, if you say, I don't understand what all that is, well, just come back, and I promise we'll look at it together. The Feast of Tabernacles had ended. That's what they were celebrating in chapter 8, but the people lingered to hear more of the Word of God. Feasting turned to fasting as the Word brought conviction, and people started confessing their sins. In churches today, or at least most churches, I would say a six-hour service Three hours of preaching and three hours of praying would probably result in some requests for resignations. But the Jewish people in that day, for them, it was the beginning of a new life for them and for their city. There used to be a time, even in this nation, when churches would gather and have two-week evangelistic campaigns. It was not unusual for citywide campaigns to go on for a month or more, even six weeks or longer in the summertime. But gradually a change took place as special meetings were shortened to one week, then to a weekend, and now they're almost obsolete. Often, even in a church service, like on a Sunday morning, we can tend to want to watch our clock and see, when's this going to be over? We live in the age of the fast food, the sound bite. And this mentality, I think, has invaded even our churches. Sometimes we sing the song, take time to be holy. But we don't really want to take time because we aren't willing to pay the price to do it. In verses 1 through 5 here this morning, we see God's greatness demonstrated in the fact that He receives our worship. You see, as the children of Israel worship Him, they confess their sins, they worship Him, they hear from God's Word as it's read, they stand up and they bless Him, they sing praises to Him. I want us to take just a moment and think about what true worship entails. The word worship is really two words put together, worth-ship, that God is receiving something that He deserves. True worship is saying the same thing about God that He says about Himself. But often we can get caught up in false worship where we're saying things about God or acting in ways that are completely contrary to who God is and what He's done for us. That was the children of Israel for many years. In fact, they were failing to do things that God had commanded them to do. But here in chapter 9, we see a return to true worship. I want you to notice some of the elements of true worship. They heard from the Word of God. I want you to know this morning, without God's Word, there is no true worship. You can't worship God apart from His Word. You say, why is that? Because God has revealed Himself to us in His Word. 
And if we don't know who He is, then we can't worship Him very well. Be kind of like if I had somebody come in this morning and I say, all right, I want you to introduce you to my good friend. This is one of my best friends in all the world. Now, can you tell me what your name is again? You would kind of laugh and say, this isn't really his good friend, is it? You know, my friend and I, we've done a lot of great things together. We've gone on vacations together. Pretend that we have. You know, and, and, and we've spent a lot of time together. We enjoy a lot of the same things. Now, what's your favorite baseball team? You know, if we did something like that, if I did something like this this morning, you would say, he doesn't know his friend very well. In fact, I don't even think they really are friends. How can he really tell us about his friend if he doesn't even know his friend? And I would tell you this morning, how can we worship a God that we don't know? How can we worship him how he desires and deserves to be worshipped if we don't know our God? As the children of Israel gathered that day to worship God, they were better able to worship Him because they heard from His Word. The better we know God, the better we can worship God. Not only did they hear from His Word, but they praised Him. We see that down in verse 5 when they said, Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever, and blessed be thy glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. When they understood better who God was, they could praise Him in the way that He deserves. They said, He's great, He's worthy, He's above all blessing and praise. In other words, there's no words that we could even say to say as great as God truly is. We serve a great God. Not only was there the hearing of the Word of God, the praising of God, of course we see prayer. You see, we can hear from God's Word, and that's how we hear from God, but in prayer, it's our opportunity to speak back to Him. Sometimes we can get caught up neglecting one or the other. Some, sometimes we get so caught up in our prayer life that we forget to spend time hearing from God's Word and reading and understanding what God has to say to us. Sometimes we're so full of what this says that we never take time to talk back to Him. In worship... There's two-way communication going on. God speaking to us and us speaking to God. And when it only becomes a one-way street, it's very difficult for us to worship in the way that we should. Not only was there prayer, but there was confession of sin. You know, as I thought about this, people were confessing their sin because it was being revealed to them their lifestyle, their actions were being brought out through the light of God's Word. As they heard from God's Word, they realized, we're not doing what God wants us to do. So they began to confess their sin before God. God makes everything plain. He brings everything into the light. He, he makes everything visible in His time. And God made their sin very visible to them, and they confessed their sin. If you notice back in verse 10, they confess their sins and the sin of their fathers. These people were cleaning house, so to speak. They were getting right. They said, we've done wrong, not only us, but our fathers, our parents have done wrong. And we're going to confess what they've done because what they've done has affected what we've done. Their choices have affected our choices. And God, forgive us for what we've done. God, forgive our fathers for what they've done too. 
These people wanted to get right before God. They had received uh, really a lifestyle or something that had been passed down to them from their parents that was contrary to who God was, so they confessed their sin towards Him. I believe any time that God's Word is lifted up, when people come together to worship God and praise Him, it ought to result in us opening up our hearts and confessing what's inside that's contrary to God and asking Him to forgive us of our sin. If you're here this morning and you have unconfessed sin in your heart, things that you say, I know they're wrong, but I'm just holding on to it, I would encourage you and let you know to be able to truly worship God this morning, you have to confess your sin. Why? Because sin separates us from God. I can't communicate with God directly when there's sin in the way. Sin is, separates us from God. You say, why would my sin separate me from God? Well, because we serve a God who is holy. That means He's high and lifted up. He's separate from sin. But here's the wonderful thing. You say, well, how can a wicked sinner then get to a holy God? Praise God, He made a way through Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is our go-between, the one who intercedes for us, the one who came and died in our place so that His death could pay the penalty for our sin. So us wicked, ungrateful sinners could have our sin forgiven and now we could get to a holy God. But as the people confessed sin, this brought them into a closer relationship from God so they could worship Him. And then the final element of true worship that we see here. We saw the hearing the word of God, praising God, prayer, confession of sin, but they also separated themselves from that which displeased God. If you notice back in verse number two again, it said they separated themselves from all strangers. This is not talking about coming away and, and refusing to ever speak to anybody. This is just saying if we're going to worship God, we need to do it in a place where we are able to focus on God directly. We can't worship God with others who are not worshiping God. We're not worshiping the same thing. So they set themselves apart so that they could worship God. And you know what I believe when God's people will set themselves apart to worship Him? That'll give them even greater opportunities to share with those who are outside why they should be inside worshiping God. Too many times in the church, though, we try to be like the world to win the world. That's not what God has called us to do. He's called us to separate ourselves from the world so that we might better worship God and thereby we can reach the world. So true Worship involves many elements, hearing the Word of God, praising God, prayer, confessing sin, separating ourselves from that which displeases God. A.W. Tozier, who wrote many wonderful Bible study books about the Bible, says this in the knowledge of the holy, the essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of Him. When we try to worship God in a way that's contrary to what God has told us, that is idolatry. We're making up our own version of God and wanting to worship that version. Folks, there's no version of God 
other than the God who has revealed himself to us in his word. There's only one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. We cannot worship God apart from the word of God. I love that verse in verse 5, this command, stand up and bless the Lord your God. This is a command that every true believer wants to obey. And we should honor it as we praise Him. But in order to be able to praise God well, we've got to hear His Word, confess sin, separate ourselves out from those that don't want to follow God, and then we can stand up and praise the Lord. The Bible says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14 through 7, 1. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers for what fellowship, there's the word, hath righteousness with unrighteousness. What communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Go down to verse 1 of the next chapter, chapter 7. It says, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I don't know about you, but for me, my heart has been very full. That in my own life, and this is what I was taking down in notes last week during the sermons that we heard, and if you come tonight, we'll discuss that some more. God, show me what I need to be right in my life. God, show me what I need to change to be more like you. God, I want to walk with you. I want to have fellowship with you. I want to be able to talk to you. God, I want you working through me. God, would you remove any sin in my life so that I can be what you want me to be? That's my testimony. And that can be your testimony today as well. As you hear God's word, as you confess your sin, as you worship and praise him today. If you're here this morning and you need to confess your sin to God, I want you to know it. The Bible says down in 1 John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, This then is the message which we have heard of Him, and declare unto you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with Another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. That verse spoke to me this week. To say that I have no sin, the Bible says I'm a liar. But here's what he says to do instead, verse 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, that's a good word, all, isn't it? He, he doesn't say, well, I'll cleanse you from most of it. I'll, I'll cleanse you when I'm feeling good. No, he says, if you'll confess it, I'll forgive it. 
we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. Whenever you see sin or failure in your life, immediately look by faith to Christ and seek his forgiveness and keep on looking to him. The more you look at yourself, the more discouraged you will become. But the more you focus on him and his perfection, you'll be encouraged. Focus on him. And what He's done for you. The children of Israel experienced this great change in their lives because they turned their focus to God. We serve a great God. And His greatness is seen in the fact that He receives our worship. But we also see that His greatness is seen in the fact that He is God alone. The last few points this morning are all going to be from verse 6. So let's look at it together. Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 6 says this, Thou, even thou, art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein, and thou preservest them all, and the host of heaven worshipeth thee. God is God alone. The nation of Israel was surrounded by idolatry. There were all kinds of pagan worshipers of hundreds, sometimes even thousands of false gods. But God says, I am God alone. means there's no other God besides me. One of Israel's ministries to the world was to bear witness to Jehovah, the one true living God. What did it say to the Gentile nations around them when instead of worshiping Jehovah, they were worshiping all the same gods that the Gentiles were? They said, well, he must not really be God. But when the people separated themselves, when they confessed their sin, when they began to worship God and God alone, it was a great testimony to the nations around them. In fact, in Psalm 115, the Bible says, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake Wherefore should the heathen say, where is now their God? See, they were a testimony to the heathen. If those who say they follow God don't worship God, then how could we expect anyone else to want to worship Him too? The children of Israel had to come back to the worship of the one true God. And through that, it encouraged everybody around them to also realize there is a God in Israel. And I would tell you today in our church, I want to be a church that worships God in spirit and in truth. A, God who, a church who stands and says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless His holy name. That we would stand up and bless the Lord in truth and in righteousness and in holiness so that we could say to a world, there is hope in Jesus there's power in the name of Jesus. There's hope if you'll turn to Him and follow Him. The Gentile nations, they looked at Him, they said, Where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased. When the children of Israel turned to idols, God disciplined them. But when they turned to God, God blessed them. He blessed them again and again. 
If you keep reading in chapter 9, you'll start to see that cycle taking place of how the children of Israel turned to God, followed Him. God blessed them, and then they turned away from God. They faced punishment, but when they returned to God, God blessed them once again. Getting ahead, that's starting to talk about the goodness of God and the grace of God. But we'll stay here talking about the greatness of God because we see His greatness in the fact that He is Lord alone. There's no one beside Him. There's no one equal with Him. There's no one above Him. He is Lord alone. But not only is He Lord alone, we see in verse 6, His greatness is seen in the fact that He created the universe. He says, Thou hast made heaven. The heaven of heavens with all their hosts. That means he made the angels. He made heaven. He made all the beautiful things that someday we'll enjoy. He also made, it says, the earth and all things that are therein. The seas and all that is therein. God made everything. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. This is a statement that can be, applied, can be applied only to Jehovah, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The same God that we worship today, He is the creator of all. He's a great God because He's created it all. You know, whenever God wanted to encourage His people, He would always point back to creation and remind them what He had done. In Isaiah 40 and 41 are two wonderful chapters of the Bible that talk about the character and nature of God. I want to read just a few verses from Isaiah chapter 40. Maybe you know verse 31 that says, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall walk and not grow weary, or run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. But do you know... The previous verses leading up to that talk about who our God is. Verse 26, lift up your eyes on high and behold who hath created these things that bringeth out their hosts by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might. For he is strong in power, not one faileth. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not? Aren't you glad we serve a God that doesn't get tired? I don't know about you, but I get tired. I'm tired today. I woke up tired. But we serve a God who never gets tired. Because He's God alone. Because He receives our worship. Because He created everything. He says, He fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of His understanding. He giveth power to the faint. So when you're tired, He's not tired. When you need strength, He gives you strength. When you need His power, He gives you His power. He gives you what you need. He says, even the youths shall faint and be weary. We were playing so hard at our house Friday night. 
looked over on the floor, and there was JJ. He had just called it a night, and he, he just went to sleep right on the rug. He didn't even bother to, you know, he didn't fuss, he didn't cry. He's little, he's, he's a baby himself, and he just said, I'm tired. But you know what it's like when he's tired at 8 o'clock at night because we've been go, 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 go all day. Guess what? The next morning, he had his strength renewed. He was ready to get up and to go like all the children were. And my wife and I were laying there Saturday morning at about 6 o'clock when all of a sudden the house began to wake up and nine children began to activate and begin to run around and have energy. The Bible says even the youths will run out of strength. They don't run out of it as quickly as we do sometimes, do they? But we serve a God who never runs out of strength, never runs out of energy. He understands everything. It says, and the young man shall utterly fall. People even fall off their bikes sometimes, don't they? Young women fall off their bikes. My mom had a little bit of a bike wreck yesterday. I'm glad she's up and around today. A little worse for the wear, but she's here. You know, we were playing football yesterday afternoon after the church got cleaned up. I'm thankful for people that came and cleaned up after the wedding. I showed up after the cleaning was done. My timing was impeccable. <laughs> I walked in and they were picking up the last few things. They said, Pastor, we just finished. I said, I'm right on time, right? That's what I felt like. So anyway, Grant and Thomas were outside in the parking lot with Tom and Joe and we're throwing a football and just having a good time running around for a few minutes yesterday evening. And Grant, boy, he's sprinting across the parking lot, and Thomas is sprinting across the parking lot. And I looked at Joe, and I said, Joe, I don't think I want to sprint across this parking lot. I don't trust myself anymore. I'll run fast if it's on grass, but I don't want to run fast on concrete anymore. Why? I guess I'm getting old. I have a responsibility of nine children at my... No, not really, but five children at my house, and if I fall down... That may be a pain for them, so I just, I guess it's the mantle of responsibility weighing heavily on me. I didn't want to come into church this morning with road rash on my face, you know, like I wanted to be okay, but the Bible says even the young man shall utterly fall. Every single one of us gets weak, gets tired, we can even fall, but we serve a great God, and that's why verse 31 says, but... They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. We serve a God who created everything. When you need strength, you can go to Him. To know that our Father in heaven is the creator of all things is a great source of strength and peace. May we not fall into the trap of idolatry where we worship the creature more than the creator. Romans 1.25 says, Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creatures more than the creator. Who is blessed forever. Amen.
So we see God's greatness and that He received their worship. We see God's greatness and that He is Lord alone. We see God's greatness and that He made everything. And then we see also in verse 6, God's greatness demonstrated through His providential care for His Creator. There's a little phrase towards the end of verse 6. It says, And thou preservest them all. I would tell you it's one thing to make something. It's another thing entirely to be able to preserve it. Like It's one thing to build something when you have all the tools and all the materials available. It's another thing to keep it going. It's one thing, parents know this, it's one thing to give birth to a child. It's a much different thing to raise that child. We saw it yesterday. It's one thing to enter into a marriage covenant and two people to join together and get married. It's a lot of work goes into planning a wedding. It's a lot more work keeping a marriage together. God didn't just make it. He's great because He preserves it. He holds it all together. That's a great God. And that in and of itself, I think, clearly proves God's far greater than we are. Because some of us are pretty good at making things. All of us fail when it comes to preserving things. We can't even hang on to our own lives. Someday we're all going to die. And there's nothing you or I can do about that. We, We can eat right, we can exercise right, we can maybe prolong a little bit, but it's going to happen. It's inevitable. That's why they say there's only two things that are certain in life, death and taxes, right? I signed a refi on my house yesterday so I could reduce my taxes a little bit, be able to claim a little more on my homestead exemption. That's good. But guess what? I'm still going to get taxed. And I'm going to die someday. But God preserves them all. God didn't simply just make everything and then abandon it to its own course. He is involved in the affairs of His creation. Let me just give you a few examples and we'll move right along. In Matthew 10, 29, we see that God sees even when a sparrow falls. In Psalm 147, verse 9, God hears when a raven cries out for food. In Psalm 147, verse 4, the Bible tells us that God has all the stars numbered and named. We're still discovering new stars. God already has them all numbered, and He has names for all of them too. I think it's kind of neat maybe, but almost kind of funny a little bit when people, you know, you can send off and you can buy a star for somebody, right? And they'll send them a little picture in the mail. I mean, that's a nice thought, right? But I'm thankful that my Heavenly Father, He made all those stars. And He actually knows the real names for all of them. And He knows exactly how many are up there because He put them all there with just a word. And he holds it all together. What a great God we serve. He 
cares about the little things, cares about the big things. Oh, and in Luke chapter 12, the Bible tells us that God has even numbered the hairs on your head. I know for a lot of us, he's got to do a lot of subtraction. So that's a moving target, right? For sure. But he keeps track of that. Praise the Lord. We serve a great God. He is Lord alone. He has created everything. He preserves it all. Then finally this morning in verse 6, we see the greatness of God demonstrated in the fact that even the hosts of heaven worship Him. You know, angels are very powerful beings. You can study the Bible and read about a lot of things that angels have done. It's really incredible the kind of things that angels can do. And yet, even the angels bow their knee and worship God. It says at the end of verse 6 of Nehemiah 9, And the host of heaven worshipeth thee. We serve a God who is very great. You and I could never duplicate the mighty works of angels. But we can imitate their devotion to the Lord. As they worship before His throne. And you know what? This is the absolute truth. We have more reason to worship God than the angels do. See, the angels were created by God, so they need to worship Him because of that. We were created by God, but if you're a born-again believer, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you've also been redeemed by God. In other words, Jesus died for you. He didn't redeem the angels. We have a double reason to worship Him. Isn't that incredible? Even the host of heaven worship Him. We're not just servants. The angels are servants. We are His children. Isn't that a blessing? We are the children of God, and we will dwell with Him forever. Verses 1 through 6 here, we see a lot about worship. In worship, we must always begin with the object of our worship. We need to begin with the greatness of God. This is very important because sometimes in our worship, we just want to focus on what God does for us or what God gives to us or what we want God to do for us. But when we focus that way initially, we can tend to become selfish. God, do this for me. God, if you were really God, help me in this way. But no, we serve a God who is great. And I would tell you in our worship this morning, as we worship Him, we can better worship God when we understand the greatness of who He is. Because worshiping a little God... (laughs) isn't really that big of a deal. A lot of people worshiping a lot of little gods. People worship little gods of their finances, of their vehicles, of their houses, their lands. Those are little things. So I own a lot of houses. They're still little things compared to God. They probably won't be around in a hundred years. It'll all be changed by them. 
Let's serve a God who never changes. Let's serve a God who will always be. Who created everything. Who is Lord alone. Don't worship the God of selfishness or my own pride or getting something for me that I think I deserve. Let's worship God and God alone. Let me just read verse 6 again together. If you'd like, let's read it out loud together. I think it'd be good. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 6. Can we get it there, Tom? Thou, even thou, art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their host, the earth and all things that are therein, the seas and all that is therein, and thou preservest them all. And the host of heaven worshipeth thee. I don't know all of your hearts this morning. The only heart that I really feel like I kind of know this morning is mine. And my heart is to worship God. But to worship God, I've got to be right with God. To worship God, I need to know who God is. To worship God, I need to be obedient to what He has told me to do. In just a few moments, we're going to have a word of prayer. And it's going to be a time, I would encourage you, in your prayer to do two things. You may have to do one before the other. Start, if you need to, with confession. God, if there's anything in me that's not right before you, I want to give it to you. God, if there's something that I've done that's wrong, forgive me. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never truly worshipped God because you're not one of His children. You were created by Him, but you haven't been redeemed by Him. I want you to know He's already done the work. All you have to do is receive His free gift of salvation. Start with confession and then take some time of prayer to worship God. To declare God for who He is. He's great. He's holy. He's worthy of our praise this morning. And after we take a few minutes to do that, we're going to continue with the Lord's table this morning. A time to remember not just the greatness of God, but also what God has done for us in sending Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sin. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me in prayer? We're going to have the pianist come and just play a few verses of a song just to give us some music, quiet your heart, quiet your mind, get alone with God. Father, help us as we worship you this morning. Help us to worship you in truth and in righteousness and in holiness. Forgive us for when we've gone astray. And I pray that if there's somebody here today that's never trusted you as their Savior, they would do that even today. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray.